from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like who I could. not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, June 11th. It's pretty cool uh, yesterday to see the MLB draft, and though it played out in virtual format, even though it's going to be way too short with only five rounds this year. I'm the weirdo that's usually listening to the 35th uh, through 40th round uh, on audio only. But uh, because they just love hearing those dreams come true. And unfortunately, only five rounds this year. But the first round in the books yesterday, a lot of mock drafts ruined early on. A couple of surprises off the bat. But one pleasant surprise, that would be Georgia right-hander falling to the Mariners at number six overall. uh, Largely regarded as maybe the best pitcher in this draft and was a favorite to go number one overall last year. So we'll dig through Emerson's profile and why... Uh, he fits right in in this young core. We'll also hear from Jerry Depoto and uh, Scott Hunter on that selection. It's ahead in this hour. Also recapping the rest of the first round, uh, as well as some news in the NFL and NASCAR. It's all ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. The first round of the MLB draft is in the books, as I mentioned, and a couple of surprises right off the bat, which I thought maybe this year people would be a little bit more conservative because everything uh, with COVID-19 limiting resources on scouting and uh, teams' ability to gather some information that they may need, but not quite the case in this uh, this year's draft. Uh, not many people believe that Georgia right-hander Emerson Hancock would fall to the Mariners at number six, but uh, the Mariners certainly happy he did. With the sixth pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Seattle Mariners select Emerson Hancock, a right-handed pitcher from the University of Georgia. Yeah, last year, Hancock actually the favorite to be the number one pick, but uh, because of a minor lat injury last season, which we'll hear more from Scott Hunter on that, uh, followed by having a couple of rough outings to begin the season in the SEC. That pushed him down on a couple of draft boards. Uh, but pretty incredible that uh, that he fell to the Mariners, the third pitcher off the draft uh, after Minnesota uh after Minnesota's Max Meyer and Kansas City selecting Texas A&M's Asa Lacey. Minnesota's Max Meyer going to the Miami Marlins, uh, who had the third selection yesterday. But uh, here was the MLB Network breaking down Emerson's profile. Well, there are a lot of reasons why everyone has Emerson Hancock ranked as the top right-handed pitcher in this draft class. After struggling as a freshman, the 6'4 Hancock had a dominant sophomore season. He went 8-3, 199, earning 97 punch-outs and a team-high 90 in the third innings. He dealt with a lat injury that slowed him down towards the end of the season, but he returned fully healthy in 2020. 24 innings this spring, he struck out 34, walked only three. Fastball sits mid-90s. He's reached 99 miles an hour. I don't need to tell you that. Al Leiter can tell you that. He's got, probably got a breakdown tape of him. You were talking about him in the pre-draft show. You love this kid. Why? I do. Uh, he's a four-pitch mix. You just mentioned he's been up to 99. He's really 94, 97. I think Jerry DePoto has been historically picking college guys, along with Scott Hunter. Nice pick. Let's go to the breakdown. Listen, I mean, the very reason what you look for, SEC, big guy, right-hander, 
Uh, I thought about uh, back in the day, Chris Benson with Clemson. He was number one, one overall in 1996 with Pittsburgh. The body just resembled it. But just take a look here. This is what he is. And what I like about it is the unpredictability. It's smooth. It's easy. It's electric. It comes out of his hand. You see the 96s, 97s. So why wouldn't you like that? But check this out. 1-0 change-ups. It's common. He likes it and he throws it. You see good tilt, 85, 86 miles an hour. This slider is really, really good. The fastball slider change-up combo. But if you just follow the glove, this is what you look for. Are there things you could work out with delivery? Perhaps. Maybe get a little tilt. Maybe get a little high-low on it. But I love the fact that you have a college guy that's been successful in a tough conference like the SEC, a four-pitch mix. He uses all four. His curveball's probably maybe just a slower slider. But the complete package, this is what it looks like. And the Mariners, you talk about a system, he could rush through the system quickly and be in the big leagues not too soon. Jerry DePoto on the fact that they had Emerson as their highest rated pitcher. Going into this, this draft season, we had Emerson targeted as, as the best pitcher in this draft. We felt that way at the end of it. And a lot like we believed with Logan Gilbert, you know, back in his year, this is a guy who was, who, when the season began, we thought was the best pitcher in this draft. And, and as the, the days leading up to the draft started to see him slide, we thought just, just hold tight and, and bet on what you know. And we believe in him. He's an athlete. He's been a performer at one of the in one of the, the best conferences in the United States with four pitches and a ton of strikes and overwhelming stuff. And really couldn't be more excited to make him part of, of what we're doing here with the Mariners. Um, breaking down those pitches individually, Kylie McDaniel's pitching grades uh, on the ESPN coverage yesterday on the 40 to 80 scouting scale. That fastball, uh, he says, is a 55, but projects to a 60. Change is arguably his best pitch at a 60, currently projects at 65. The slider just behind that at 50, projects at 55. And uh, his curve, 45, projecting at 55. Command, overall a 45 right now, but he sees it could be bumping up to 55. What's really interesting about uh, about Hancock as a as a right-handed power pitcher, you'd say with the being clocked at up to 99 so far uh, that usually righties in this league their second best pitch is a slider not not usually typically that change I did a little research project yesterday and looked it up there was only about two of the uh, top 20 power right-handers in the league yeah, last year uh, their second best pitch or more most used pitch was a change so that could be an interesting profile for the Mariners to work with Scott Hunter also uh, talking about how Emerson will fit in right with this young corks for the third year in a row Jerry DePoto and the M's used their first round selection on a college arm uh, 21 year old Hancock joins 2018 first pick Logan Gilbert 2019 first round pick George Kirby as collegiate pitchers Seattle is taken in the first round in recent years and both Gilbert and Kirby are top 100 prospects according to MLB Pipeline. Additionally, Hancock was MLB Pipeline's number four prospect for this year's draft. So building around that young core moving ahead for the Mariners and this was Scott Hunter on that yesterday. Yeah, I think it was it was uh, to sit back the other night and Jerry and I and, and some of the guys in the front office were talking, thinking about if you put Emerson Hancock in with you know, Justice Sheffield, uh, Dunn, and then we have Gilbert coming, Kirby Williamson, Isaiah Campbell, and you put uh, Emerson, who fits that mold both on and off the field. This kid is wired just like those guys, and it's something that we've talked about a lot here since I've been here uh, three years ago, saying not that only we want players that have great ability that can impact, you know, the field, 
but off the field as well that are wired a little different. And this kid is definitely that. Not only is he a special player, he's a special kid that uh, is wired just like those guys, really cares about winning and also doing not only right on the field, but off the field. And, and to answer your question, I think Jerry made the joke, you know, we're starting to become like the Wells Fargo of young pitching. And uh, Emerson jumps right into that that class with the, that group that we're, we're starting to stockpile some arms and have a pretty good arms race here that could lead us to some winning times in Seattle. Scott Hunter also asked about some of Emerson's struggles in college and about that minor lat injury holding him back at times. We've done so much work on Emerson. It's like one of the, like last year he had a lat strain probably that set him back two weeks and then uh, came back, finished the year out and didn't play in the summer. So we wound up staying on campus working out. And we just really chalked it up to a kid that was just building his strength back up. I mean, as early or as, as late as today, I was watching his last start of the season here, which was only his fourth start. And I think his first two outings of the year, he maybe gave up some hits. But he still was 94, 97. That showed all four pitches. He's got a power breaking ball and a slider. And it's probably his best pitch is his changeup, for, for which we're really excited about. You know, having four-plus pitches across the board, being up. I mean, velocity's up to 98, 99. He pitches at 95. I think the biggest thing for Emerson was the expectations were so great going into the year of what he did in 2019 that a couple starts early on, just like I chalk it up to a spring training pitcher, you know, goes out his first couple outings and is building himself up, gets hit a little bit, and then when the bell rings later in the season, you know, come April 1st when the big league season starts, they're ready to go. So we didn't see anything concerned with that. It actually probably played up uh, our opportunity to get him where people might have got a little scared just because they thought it would be a little better. But I don't think any kid across the country come February 14th is really ready to to go nine innings, and we don't expect it of our big league players. You know, why should we expect it of our college and our high school kids? It was also cool to hear from Emerson yesterday as well, the Georgia native, uh, talking about who he is as a pitcher, how he likes to go after hitters. For those who haven't seen him, uh, this is how he said he describes himself as a pitcher. I like to attack hitters. I like to go right after them. I don't like to walk people. I try to be efficient with my pitches. I want to get long into the games. Um, and really, for me, I just my key focus is just go right after people. You know, I don't like to try to get in the deep counts. If I get ahead on people, I like to try to put them away. And I've had such a good defense behind me at Georgia that, you know, I've kind of fallen in love with just letting guys kind of put it in play and get the routine out. So that's just kind of who I am. I love to compete. Um, people can see some fire every now and then coming out of me, but that's just kind of who I am as a pitcher. Fit right in with the young core uh, for the Mariners as they continue to build around that youth for the future. Up next on the Blitz, well, speaking of baseball and the future of it, Rob Manfred, we saw him on our televisions last night announcing the picks, but he was also on SportsCenter yesterday to talk about the state of baseball in 2020. Uh, and we'll hear from him. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz. It's Six Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, June 11th, day one of the MLB draft in the books. And the Mariners taking number six over with number six overall pick. Right-handed pitcher out of Georgia, Emerson Hancock. Welcome to the Mariners, Emerson. We'll hear more from him later in this hour. 
But first, wanted to discuss uh, the future of baseball in general because it felt a little weird, I'll be honest, to be watching the draft knowing, A, it's only going to be five rounds this year because of uh, because of a decision by the league and the fact that we currently don't have a plan for baseball. Watching Rob Manfred get up there and read those picks, knowing that the Players Association and the owners are still uh, mired in in negotiations over what the season will look like. Rob Manfred, though, joining SportsCenter yesterday to talk about this and said they want as many games as possible. Believer um, in the process. Um, I would prefer to negotiate a new agreement with with the MLBPA that gets us more games and resolves um, the issues that have separated us amicably. Uh, But at the end of the day, we negotiated for the right in March to start the season on a number of games um, that that we select in these particular circumstances. And if we have to, we'll exercise that right. That right coming from their March 26th agreement. And that says that at least they have to negotiate in good faith. Uh, Rob Manfred, though, MLB commissioner, also saying that agreement was based, the prorated agreement was based on full stadiums. The March 26th agreement was premised on the belief, mutual belief, um, that we were going to be in a position where we would be playing baseball games in full stadiums. And I think um, that we find ourselves in a situation where we're going to be playing largely without fans, if not exclusively without fans. And that altered the economic landscape and really required another negotiation. Rob Manfred also talking about this unique situation, and he says the owners, they're aware of it. At times, uh, some of the comments on both sides have seemed a little tone deaf, but Manfred's saying uh, the owners know this is a different situation. You know, I can't speak for the Players Association. I can tell you unequivocally uh, that the owners understand this is different, that they're listening to what their fans saying, and that they are listening to what the players are saying, and they're continuing to make proposals um, as a result of the input that they're receiving from those sources. Most important thing is to play baseball in 2020, at least for the fans. But Manfred echoing that sentiment yesterday. I'll be disappointed that we're unable to reach an agreement that allows us to play more games. Um, But you know what? I think at the end of the day, the most important thing, and I'm not buying into your number of 48, the most important thing is that we play Major League Baseball in 2020. And I can tell you unequivocally, we are going to play Major League Baseball this year. Uh, yeah, because the owners then, again, do have that option, they believe, to force the, the season schedule based on that March agreement. Um, Rob Manfred also saying they, though, won't commit to a date that MLB will <laughs> will force that season start. I don't want to commit to um, a, a, a particular date when we have to go down that path. I will tell you this. Each and every day that goes by, we lose the capacity to play at least one game. And um, that's really the time pressure that's significant at this point in time. Yeah, come on. If the most important thing is to play baseball in 2020, then make it happen right now. Uh, It was cool to hear from Jimmy Lake, Washington head football coach yesterday on Pac-12 Network. Um, There's some optimism about bringing bringing football back here in the summer and the Pac-12 now allowing voluntary workouts starting in mid-June, of course, 
following health and safety guidelines. Jimmy Lake, though, talked more about the tough conversations that his team has had right now. They start to get to know each other and they and they start to find out that, hey, you know what? Even though that guy doesn't look like me and he's not where I'm from, we're a lot alike in a lot of ways. And so we've broken down those walls. And that was one of my messages to our team is we are really uh, a shining light of what society should be like. No, we don't all look different. We don't all talk the same. We don't have the same views, but we should have compassion for each other. We should have empathy for each other. And we should understand that we are very similar, even though we may not look alike. And um, that was that was also one of my huge messages to our team. And, and Mike, I agree with you. We are definitely set up way ahead of uh, a lot of programs and, and, and a lot of uh, organizations that have adults uh, that work together. And um, I definitely sent that message to our team that we are in a really good place. Not perfect, but we, but we are in, a, in definitely a, a really good place, and we have to continue to have these conversations. Coach Lake saying that uh, they believe, he believes they are headed to a better place, place. and watching and uh, the, the video of the tragic death of George Floyd, it sparked conversation to create real change. Uh, he mentioned that his team has worked with leadership council and uh, coaches to organize a team meeting to fight for racial equality, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, everyone felt this thing boiling over. And first, it was me reaching out to our leadership council saying, well, we need to we need to meet on this. We all need to talk about this. And, and they, they appreciated that message. I reached out to uh, a handful of individuals on my team that I felt uh, would definitely have, have taken this uh, very seriously. And they were appreciative of that. And we had a good conversation just one on one. Then I reached out to all of our uh, full time staff members, position coaches, and they reached out to their units individually to make sure, you know, they're that they're. Uh, you know, mental side was was okay, and and making sure they they knew that they had somebody to to talk to. And then we scheduled our team meeting, and it was uh, it was an emotional one. It was an extremely emotional meeting, and it was really good. It was really good. Coach Lake also said they are working as a team to make sure everyone is prepared to vote, and are setting up a meeting with local police as well. Uh, up next on the Blitz. Answering a lot of questions surrounding the Seahawks defense. Should the Seahawks give Shaquille Griffin an extension? How much playing time should Jordan Brooks see this year? Paul Moyer stops by 710 to answer some of those questions next. Right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, June 11th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. There's a lot of questions facing the Seahawks defense this year. And Paul Moyer joining Bob, Dave, and Moore yesterday to discuss some of them, including should the Seahawks give Shaquille Griffin an extension? Wait for it. Paul, where are you at? Hold on. Yeah, that part's a challenge for him. You know, he'll he'll have a hard time uh, getting the type of money he wants. And I, I'd probably throw it similar to... Uh, clowny situation you know both of them are really good football players both of them have been pro bowlers i mean griffin made the pro bowl last year you know and people see more of what's going on than just interceptions um but 
you know, with as much zone as we play, um, you've got to make plays. I mean, you've got to be able to trust things and break on the football, and and you've got to create turnovers. And if 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 he has four or five, six interceptions this year, it's going to cost us a lot of money because he's very fast. He runs well. He does match up with just about anybody. Um, but if he's not making a lot of plays, uh, he he'll, he will not get the money that that I'm sure he's looking for. Paul also asked about Jordan Brooks and how much we could see him on the field. How much playing time will he get? Um, but I, I think he's going to get on the field. I think he's going to do some things. I think he's got a chance to be a, a bit of a pass rusher for us as well. And he's a sideline to sideline player. There's not Wagner's not going to play the whole season. He's going to get nicked up. You know, KJ probably the same thing. They're going to more than likely just their age going to miss a few games. So well, we're going to need these young guys to to step up and make plays. Paul Moyer also on and just how important Quentin Dunbar is to this defense. Of course, uh, if he will see any punishment uh, or any discipline by the league. We still don't know, or by the legal system, but Paul Moyer on Dunbar's importance to the defense. The reason why Dunbar's so important is it allows us to put three wide receiver or three corners, I think, on the field, and that that allows you to play man. You're, you're not playing man to man. Is no no offense there, Dave, with linebackers who can't run as well, hey, and, and more and, and they can run, but they're just <laughs> not as skilled at, at covering and changing direction and all that stuff. Obviously, but I think that's important more than anything because now. Yeah, you can disguise blitzes. You, you, for the most part, when you got your four-three personnel out there, I mean, you've you've cut the playbook in half. The quarterbacks know that they're they're not fearful of certain things coming their way. Uh, Paul's full interview is available online for you. Just click on the podcast tab at seven ten sports dot com. Also, yesterday, Shannon Dreyer joining the afternoon show. Uh, Bob Dave Moore to discuss. These, the Mariners' first-round draft pick, Emerson Hancock, as well as what the Mariners might be doing with the rest of their picks. How surprised are you? What do you, what do you uh, what are you feeling in in terms of surprise and liking this pick, not liking this pick? I'm not surprised in the least bit because I've been saying that if Emerson Hancock was there, that's who they would go with, and if not, it would be Nick Gonzalez. So uh, I think they were not. I think a lot of the draft prognosticators were not expecting Hancock to be there. Uh, I, I know that the Mariners are in a position right now where they didn't necessarily feel like they needed to draft for need or needed to draft for immediacy because of what they've got coming right now. But uh, Hancock was somebody that I had heard that they had liked quite a bit, but I don't think anybody thought that he would be there. And as we saw, if you were following along with the draft, it was surprise after surprise after surprise. So this was going to be an interesting choice for them, and they did what they've done the last three years and gone with that polished kind of power college pitcher who more likely than not can be of impact sooner rather than later. Yeah, so third year in a row where they take a first-round pick on a college pitcher. Had you looked at this guy, Emerson Hancock, at all, Shannon? And uh, if so, I mean, I know there's a lot of guys to preview, but uh, what do you know about him as far as, you know, just what kind of a person he is, what what his pitch is, all of that good stuff that you do when you draft profile? Well, you you look at what's been out there, and, and you know what's really unfortunate about everybody is they barely were able to do anything this year. And I think he only threw, I think, 24 innings this year. But in that time, he struck out 34 batters, 
big kid, um, had an 8-3 and three ERA with a 199 ERA last year, 97 strikeouts, held opponents to just 185 batting average. And what's most impressive about him is he is a big upper-velocity fastball guy. He's a guy that, you know, can hit 99. He's also very much a command guy. And the fastball has a high spin rate on it, so it should play up in the zone, which is something that, you know, you love to see from those big power pitchers. It's one thing to have 99, but if there's no movement on it, it's not going to do you very much good. Has two above-average secondary pitchers, and what I've heard about him the most has just been that this is a polished pitcher, and I think it very much fits into what we've seen the last couple of years. And, you know, there were some, and you look at uh, what a pleasant surprise Logan Gilbert was and how quickly he came along. You talked to some scouts and they would have put Emerson over Logan Gilbert, you know, uh, uh, slightly. So, you know, you add him to George Kirby and to Logan Gilbert and you just have this young crop that they drafted three college pitchers that they think highly of one that we haven't even really seen or heard very much of that the scouts absolutely love and Brandon Williamson. And they have built a nice little, uh, just, you know, group of future pitchers that really shouldn't be too far off. And whether or not we see them at the big league level or they are uh, somebody that you can kind of use a little bit to get back some things that you need, infield depth is not good in the minor leagues right now. Uh, they've got some solid, solid pitchers down in the minor leagues right now. And we've seen them bring some of them along quickly of late, which uh, you know should play very well for them going forward. Yeah, I'm just looking here, and uh, Hancock just turned 21 on May 31st. Uh, you, you talked about the lack of infield depth in the minors. Uh, are you surprised they didn't go with, with Gonzalez? No, only because, uh, you know, I think they would have gone with him if Hancock wasn't, ava- if it wasn't available, if uh, some way that Lacey was still around another uh, pitcher, I think they would have gone in that regard. But I, I think that uh, I, I do think that Gonzalez would have been their first uh, position player. I don't think that they would have gone for the high schooler, Bean. I, I don't know for sure. But, uh, yeah, they like Gonzalez, but I, I think the opportunity was just too big on the pitching side. Well, Gonzalez just went number seven overall to Pittsburgh, so he's off the board. Uh, before we let you go, Shannon, what do you expect? I mean, only five rounds to deal with here, so what? What? maybe not, maybe not uh, individual names, but just positions do you expect them to address with the remaining picks? I think we'll still see quite a bit of pitching. I mean, that's their M.O., and they can kind of use that as a currency moving forward as well. And I think something else to think about is, you know, we're in the situation where everything is so uncertain, and when these guys are going to be able to play again, a game experience is the most important thing, and that is something that everybody is missing. But the pitching, you can do so much more than the hitters can do right now. You keep your arm active. You can throw bullpens. Uh, you can you can work on your stuff. It's been so much tougher to get the hitters work that you know that kind of makes me wonder a little bit if they do invest a little bit more on the pitching side. The other thing to look for, and it's not the best draft for it, but they are in a position where they can afford, particularly in the later rounds, which is four and five, I guess, to take somebody that is a little bit more of a reach that is going to take a little bit more time, perhaps a high schooler with just huge upside. Because they've got so many young players right now, they don't uh, need to have players that are immediately available. So I, I'm kind of interested to see if they do make that reach, if they do take that interesting player a little bit later in this draft. Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider with us. Shannon, we appreciate the uh, the few moments you got here. I know you got uh, press conferences to get to and all of that. So we'll let you go. Thanks so much. 
All right, guys. That was Shannon Dreher, our Mariners Insider, on with Bob, Dave, and more yesterday. Shannon's got a great article up on Emerson Hancock right now on on 710sports.com. So make sure you check that out and follow her throughout the draft for incredible coverage. Up next on The Blitz, it is time for the hot list. We'll hear more from Emerson. Also, uh, some news in the NASCAR and NFL world. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Well, we've been getting a lot of positive news lately on the return of sports, including Major League Soccer, Taylor Twelman, ESPN MLS analyst on MLS coming back. Well, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning of it. They're coming back before any other league, and especially with the NBA still dragging their feet a little bit. So, Scott, they're trying to announce this return with the game three games every single day, right? So you've got a 9 o'clock in the morning game, 8 o'clock and 10.30 at night in a World Cup-style format. So you and I spent two summers ago, we spent every day watching World Cup games, and I think Major League Soccer is looking at this as an opportunity. Now, the minimum amount of games per team is three. All of those games, the three games that you play in your group stage, will count towards your regular season. And, Scott, that's where I want to take you with this. It's less about the tournament to me, and it's more about the statement Major League Soccer said today that, guess what, those three games count towards the regular season because we are planning and very confident that we're going to play 12 to 18 games in our respective home markets. And even Don Garber today on the media call said there's a possibility that fans will be involved. That's the biggest talking point for me. Yes, it's an exciting World Cup-style tournament. You're going to catch a lot of eyeballs that you would never see before but more so, they're going full steam ahead and finishing this season to the best capability that they can post-pandemic. Uh, in the NFL, the players put out a pretty powerful video last week um, calling for the NFL to speak out against racial inequity, against police brutality, and featuring several big-name players, including Patrick Mahomes. Also in that, you can always hear his wonderfully distinct voice uh, but to hear from Patrick on that was pretty cool and he spoke yesterday too about using his platform for good things uh, first off talking about how watching the video of George Floyd uh, so painful and he just knew that he couldn't sit back and watch I can't watch the entire George Floyd video through and through I've watched it I've watched it in parts um, but it, it, it hurts me too much to, to my soul to see see him and and feel like I can't help I can't do anything to help to help uh, the situation that happened the horrible situation that happened where where George Floyd um, got murdered um, but to me it just affected me knowing that I have people in my family who have who have been in and out of jail and that that could have been put in that situation and I, that's where it took me is that could have been one of my family members and that could have been someone that I cared about and, and I know how much hurt that his family must be feeling, or I can't even understand it, honestly. But uh, that that was – I wanted to sit back and listen. I didn't want to act off of anger. I didn't want to act off of, of hurt. I wanted to listen and make the best informed decision that I think I could to help help the help the world, help the community with my platform. 
So I felt like that was my first, my first where I kind of came up with my statement of trying to unite and, and show love to everybody. Patrick Mahomes also asked about if he was afraid of any backlash making that statement. I feel like with every decision that you make, there's going to be positive and negatives. Um, and that's, that is the world that we live in today. But I believe in both my statement and the video that I made that it that stuff needed to be said. Uh, we needed to come together as a, as a, a group, uh, as players, and show that we believe that Black Lives Matter and that that we believe that this needs to be informed and we need to be the role models to go out there and take that step. Pat Mahomes also saying he wanted to do the most uh, he can with his platform and making efforts and strides uh, wherever possible. Diana Rossini, NFL reporter, also talking about what the NFL owner's response will be because a lot of people calling for action from them or at least for them to be more vocal in this time. We heard from Roger Goodell following the players' video coming out and a pretty powerful statement from him and admitting that the NFL handled peaceful demonstrations and protests uh, incorrectly in the past. Diana Rossini, though, on NFL owners feeling the pressure to spur to action right now. As a head coach today, give me, give me a, a, a gauge on the pressure right now on owners. He said tremendous right now. That how, that's how they are feeling it. And he pointed out to me, he said, Jerry Jones when he is in these meetings with the owners, he leads the way, not only in a way from vocally, because we know he, he likes to speak on all things, but there are a lot of owners who confide in Jerry, who rely on Jerry's experience and make their decisions based on what he's doing, what he decides to do. So when you hear Richard Sherman saying his silence is deafening, his silence tells you exactly how he feels. The pressure is mounting for him to do something. And you see today the Kansas City Chiefs are being very open about having conversations with their ownership. So I think the dominoes are going to start to fall here and we're going to see Jerry come out and say something. Um, That remains to be seen, but keep you updated on if it does happen. Uh, Big news in NASCAR. Uh, First, we heard from Bubba Wallace, NASCAR driver, uh, last week about removing Confederate flags from the racetrack and how he believed that would help people. He was outspoken about that. My typical answer was, I don't really see the Confederate flags. I, I, you know, obviously I do see them. They're flying high and and, and inside the infields. And and you you read some of the comments of people won't come to races of of African-American descent. They won't come to races simply because the Confederate flag is flying. And you look at that, it's like, okay, we, we, are, we are a very selfish nation, I feel like. I'm, I'll take credit. I'm very selfish. Um, but it's not about us. It's about other people. It's about coming together and, and treating your neighbors like they're your brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters in this world. So um, if it makes them feel uncomfortable, let's just take it down. Let's just get rid of it. Uh, no disrespect, but it's, it's time to make people feel welcome. That's what, that's what we're fighting for. We don't feel welcomed in this world. The African-American community does not feel welcome. And I think we can help that by removing Confederate flags. If it bothers them, then let's, let's, let's make that change. And NASCAR officially doing that yesterday and banning those Confederate flags. Um, Ryan McGee, ESPN senior writer, talking about this and how NASCAR has constantly apologized for the Confederate flag. I worked at NASCAR, and it was a constant apology for the Confederate flags. And it was a constant apology for the fact that the diversity display case at the NASCAR Hall of Fame is about the size of a microwave. You know, it was a constant apology for all of these things. And so I knew where the president of NASCAR's heart was, Steve Phelps. I knew where the competitors were. I knew where Jimmy Johnson was on all this. And so to see it all actually happen 
And to see the relief on people's faces, even though it's a fight, to see the relief on the face of Bubba Wallace, the face of Jimmy Johnson, the face of Jeff Gordon, the face of people that I know have felt the way that everyone knows now they feel about the flag, about racism, about inequality, about all of these things, to see it all out there is crazy. And and now being vocal and that change happening, pretty incredible. And Ryan McGee with further thoughts on this as well. It doesn't hurt that right now they can do this in a little bit of a vacuum, but it also gives them time to prepare. And uh, what the racists are realizing now is they're outnumbered. Mm -hmm. And what the racists are realizing now is what they perceived as a safe haven, the NASCAR racetrack, they don't have that anymore. And uh, and so as a result, they're reacting the way that they're going to react. And uh, I am 100% for making them feel as small and surrounded as, un- as uncomfortable as possible. Yesterday, the MLB round one of the draft in the books and number one overall, well, Spencer Torkelson headed to the Detroit Tigers. With the first pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Detroit Tigers select Spencer Torkelson, a third baseman from Arizona State University. Yeah, he was on SportsCenter yesterday, and I always love the draft because of those moments when you see a lot of people's dreams come true. And Spencer saying it's the first time he cried out of just pure excitement. To be honest with you, I didn't know it was happening. <laughs> it, uh, I didn't get a call, and it, I heard my name, and, you know, I... I can't remember ever crying out of just pure excitement in my life, but I, I think I might have shed a tear or two, I'm not going to lie. But it's it's an unreal feeling, and um, it's a feeling I'll never, never forget, that's for sure. Those are the moments, man. Also the moments when the Mariners pick, tuning into that at number six overall. There was a lot of surprises early on in the draft, and not many people thinking that Georgia right-hander Emerson Hancock would have fallen to the Mariners at number six overall. And Jerry Depoto said that they had regarded him as the best pitcher in this draft, not just the best righty, but the best pitcher. Uh, but he did, in fact, fall to them. And with the number six selection, uh, the Mariners have a new college arm heading to Seattle. It would help if the sound played. Wait for it. With the sixth pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Seattle Mariners select Emerson Hancock, a right-handed pitcher from the University of Georgia. Another college arm uh, in the past couple of years being taken with their first selection, joining uh, George Kirby, joining uh, Logan Gilbert in the past two years. And uh, Emerson Hancock, power righty, but also a lot of secondary pitches to work with. His slider is uh, is promising, but his change, arguably his best pick, being graded at a 60 on the 40-80 scouting scale, uh, projected at 65. Uh, so pretty cool there. And we got to hear from DePoto on the fact that they saw him as the highest-rated pitcher in the draft. Going into this, this draft season, we had Emerson uh, targeted as, as the best pitcher in this draft. We felt that way at the end of it. And a lot like we believed with Logan Gilbert, you know, back in his year, this is a guy who was who, when the season began, we thought was the best pitcher in this draft. And, and as the, the days leading up to the draft started to see him slide, we thought just, just hold tight and, and bet on what you know. And, we believe in him. He's an athlete. He's been a performer at one of the in one of the, the best conference in the United States with four pitches and a ton of strikes and overwhelming stuff. And really couldn't be more excited to make him part of what we're doing here with the Mariners. 
Part of the reason he may have fallen to number six is he dealt with a minor lat injury uh, recently and had a couple of rough starts to start the season. Emerson on those few rough starts. You know, I don't really know what, what the deal people made about it, but at the end of the day, you know, I'll put through those for opportunities to grow, opportunities to get better. And um, for us, you know, our focus this year was to be primed and ready for, for May and June. You know, when we go to the tournament, when we start the regionals and so. That was the main focus for me was to be healthy at the end of the year and to be really at the peak moving into when the games mattered the most. So that's what I was really focused on. I also loved this. He was asked, uh, how would you describe yourself to someone who hasn't seen you pitch? How do you like to go after hitters? I like to attack hitters. I like to go right after them. I don't like to walk people. I try to be efficient with my pitches. I want to get long into the games. Um, and really, for me, I just my key focus is to go right after people. You know, I don't like to try to get in the deep counts. If I get ahead on people, I like to try to put them away. And I've had such a good defense behind me at Georgia that, you know, I've kind of fallen in love with just letting guys kind of put it in play and get the routine out. So that's just kind of who I am. I love to compete. Um, when people can see some fire every now and then coming out of me, but that's just kind of who I am as a pitcher. We've talked a lot about the young uh, hitting core when it comes to Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelnick, and Julio Rodriguez that are coming up through the Mariners' farm system. But also, they are sneakily stockpiling, maybe not so sneakily if you are a Mariners fan, loves looking at prospects in minor league baseball. But they are stockpiling some arms uh, for the future and a nice core that Emerson will fit right into, according to Scott Hunter. Yeah, I think it was it was uh, to sit back the, the other night and Jerry and I and, and some of the guys in the front office were talking, thinking about if you put Emerson Hancock in with, you know, Justice Sheffield, uh, Dunn, and then we have Gilbert coming, Kirby Williamson, Isaiah Campbell, and you put uh, Emerson, who fits that mold both on and off the field. This kid is wired just like those guys, and it's something that we've talked about a lot here since I've been here. Uh, three years ago saying not that only we want players that have great ability that can impact you know the field but off the field as well that are wired a little different this kid is definitely that not only is he a special player he's a special kid that uh, is wired just like those guys really cares about winning and also doing not only right on the field but off the field and and to answer your question I think Jerry made the joke you know we're starting to become like the Wells Fargo of young pitching and uh, Emerson jumps right into that that class with that group that we're starting to stockpile some arms and have a pretty good arms race here that could lead us to some winning times in Seattle. Uh, more on Emerson uh, as we continue throughout the week, and we'll bring you more of his sound, but also don't forget uh, rounds two through five, only five rounds in the draft this year, but continuing on today, I believe at the start time, 5 p.m. Eastern time uh, for you, and I believe on ESPN as well. But we'll stay tuned for that and more coverage tomorrow. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.